0: Last week the clock wasn't working, and this week there are two clocks that are working in the pulpit here. So I don't know if they're giving me a hint or something to speed up. Um, Wow. Thank you for whoever arranged for that. Appreciate it. Open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 5. This is an important week coming up in terms of a visible demonstration of Christian unity as the uh, Red Sox and the uh, Dodgers uh, go into the World Series beginning on Tuesday. So Christ is bigger even than the Dodgers, so. And the Red Sox, of course. So I love you, um, brothers and sisters. And we'll let the best team win, hey? Indeed. So, we are back in Ephesians 5, and looking at verses 18 to 21, we've been in this passage for a number of weeks, and we're back here again this morning, and we'll be back one more time after that, as a, kind of a wrap-up and pull it all together. But this morning, as we're here uh, in this passage, we're, we're doing it in the under the influence. structure of questions and answers that's been our format and we've been asking a whole series of them actually 10 in total and we've asked and answered eight of them so far we're going to look at question number nine uh, together this morning and then when we come back to it uh, question number 10 will allow us to pull it all back together and be reminded of all of the truths we've learned in this very very important and pivotal passage and what it means to to live a spirit-filled life so we've got these questions and answers and um this morning, this question nine deals with, with outward manifestation. What is the outward manifestations, plural, of a life that is filled by the Spirit? That's, that's really kind of the question that is before us. And it's, a, it's an important question. It's a, it's a very practical kind of question. So I'm hoping this morning's sermon that you would see it that way. The, the formal question, question number nine is, is the filling of the Spirit visible? So that's the question that we're going to to take up in our study this morning. Simple question. Is the filling of the Spirit visible? Is it a visible reality to us? And the answer to that question is yes and no. It's a yes and no answer. And and what I mean by that is that the actual work of the Spirit, uh, Spirit filling is no. It's not visible. It's not visible, but the, but the result of the Spirit's work is indeed very, very visible, very visible. And this really shouldn't surprise us because Jesus in John 3, in talking about the work of the Spirit in, in salvation, he says in John 3, 8, that the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, that that the work of the Spirit is an invisible work with a visible result. And so when we come to the topic here about the outward manifestations of being filled by the Spirit, the actual work itself is invisible to us, but the manifestation of it, the the outward results of it, are very, very visible indeed. Very visible indeed. Let me read the text here before we dive too deeply into this. Paul says here in verse 18, chapter 5, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So the main verb that, that controls this whole section here, verses 18 through 21, is the verb plerao in verse 18, be filled. It's a present passive imperative, to be filled. That's the main verb that controls the, the, the command here. It's the command to be filled. uh, regularly, constantly filled by the Spirit. But verses 19 to to 21 uh, uh, present five participles, and we talked about this a, a number of weeks back, but it's worth going back over again, because the grammatical structure, taking the time to understand this, is really, really important to understanding how these things fit together. So Paul gives us five participles in verses 19 through 21, that describe not the means by which, and some, some would teach that, that it's the means by which we are filled with the Spirit, but rather it is the result. And that's what I want you to, to really hone in on, is that the command is to be regularly, constantly filled by the Spirit, which will result in the things mentioned here in verses 19, 20, and 21. The first first Four of the five participles here deal with singing. They deal with with singing and prayer. So actually three with singing, one with prayer, in the context, in the the public context of the church gathered. You see it, verse 19, uh, one another, one another. So speaking... To one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing is another one. Making melody with your hearts to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things. And those are, your, those are your four participles that talk about the result of being filled by the Spirit as it manifests itself in the public gathering of the people of God. The fifth and final participle given here in verse 21 um, be subject to or, or more literally being subject to one another in the fear of Christ is actually a bridge. And it's a bridge that takes us from the public gathering of the church as it, as it shows the result of the work of the Spirit in our midst into the private sector, as it were, into our homes. And there in the homes, beginning in verse 22 of chapter 5 and running all the way through chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul will talk about the result of being filled by the Spirit within the private confines of my home and yours. So, Paul's dealing here in a practical level with the public gathering of the people of God and the private reality of the people of God. What does it look like to be filled by the Spirit? That's really what we're after this morning. Okay? Does that make sense? So, is the Spirit's filling visible? Yes. It is, it is very visible. And, it, and it's visible because it results in certain things. And it results in, Paul tells us here, worship, gratitude, and a humble submission. So worship, gratitude, and a humble submission are the visible manifestations or result of a spirit. Filled life. In other words, you are not being filled by the Spirit if your life is not characterized by worship and thanksgiving and humble submission within your home and the authority structures that God has established there. That's the practical outworking. Now, let's go back and start to unpack it a little, okay? Let's go back and unpack it a little, and let's do it first under the heading of worship. So first, Paul talks about worship. The first three parcels talk about worship. And he speaks about congregational singing. Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord. So the first result, visible manifestation of, of a life that is being filled by the Spirit is that it's a life of song. It's a life of singing. And there are two aspects of the singing that Paul references here. There's a horizontal aspect and there's a vertical aspect. When we gather together as the people of God in the public worship of the church, we sing. And we sing to each other and we sing to Christ. And there are both aspects and are both equally important. So let's look first at the horizontal aspect of singing as the part of the public worship of the people of God. And Paul says here, they are speaking to one another. Speaking to one another. The, the verb here, laleo, it simply means to speak. That's what it means. So it's a, it's, a, it's a fantastic translation here. We speak to each other as we sing. We speak to each other As we sing, which obviously indicates that music, unaccompanied by lyrics, is ineffective to accomplish the purpose for which the church corporately gathers. In other words, the lyrics are hugely important. The, The lyrics are where it's at. The lyrics are where it's at. Music changes. Melodies change, tunes change, rhythms change, they, they, they move across cultures, they move across time, lots of change there, but the, but the powerful content of lyrics is what's hugely important for the people of God. And notice how Paul hones in on that here, where he says, we speak to one another, and we do it in Psalms, we do it in Psalms. And uh, this reference, uh, whenever the psalms is referenced, that word is used in the New Testament, it would be a reference to the Old Testament psalms. So the, the Psalter, the 150 psalms of the Old Testament that are gathered there in the, in the canonical book of psalms were very much a part of the worship of the people of God in the first century. The church used the psalms. And, and the word psalm itself, interesting, it, it just means to touch the chords of a stringed instrument. So, in other words, the, the, the psalms themselves uh, would, would have a musical accompaniment to them. They would be sung often. Okay? We don't know what tunes they used, and uh, we probably wouldn't like them. Uh, they wouldn't probably suit our musical tastes. Uh, uh, today, if we were to hear him, but be that as it may, uh, singing is a, is a way to lodge truth in people's minds. It's a powerful way to do that. And so we would sing, they would sing the psalms to one another. We, we don't sing the psalms very often. We might sing pieces of them, but we do read them. We do read the psalms to each other, and we do it intentionally and, and for the purpose of making sure that that, that that truth is continually being spread out to one another. He goes on and he talks here about hymns. Hymns. Now, not the hymn book, okay, not the hymn book, but, but hymns, which essentially means a, a song of praise to God. Okay? That's what a hymn is. It's a song of, of praise to God, and it, and it generally is more universal in scope than personal, and it generally focuses on the character and, and uh, if we can call it this, attributes of God. So rather than our personal experience as a believer with God, a hymn, generally speaking, speaks of the character and attribute of God for which we praise him, for which we praise him. And then finally, the the term uh, spiritual songs. It's from uh, a Greek verb, ode. We get the English word an ode comes from that, and it simply means a song. It's a song. So Paul kind of gathers things together here, and, and he uses words that are, that are somewhat interchangeable, honestly. Um, the psalms, the hymns, the, the spiritual songs, if there's any differentiation here, uh, the spiritual songs is, is probably songs that are composed more spontaneously as a result of the work of the Spirit in our lives uh, you might uh, see it in comparison to, for example, the, the drunken songs. So just kind of staying in the context of verse 18, right? To be not drunk with wine, at least to dissipation. Uh, drunks often kind of compose songs in their, in their state, okay? So, so perhaps in contrast to that, rather than drunken songs sung together, we are to sing songs uh, of holiness that the, that the Holy Spirit himself works in our hearts, so the differentiation, hard to make, you know, hard and fast categories here. But the idea is the singing. We sing to one another. That's clear. That's very, very clear. And I think it becomes even clearer when we look at a parallel passage. And I'm going to ask you to do that, to turn over to Colossians. And, uh, and we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. And also Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, and I want you to see something here. So I'll take you to 3.16 first, and just uh, notice in 3.16, Colossians 3.16, they, that we see this, um, in a parallel letter, we, we see a kind of a parallel statement where Paul says to the, to the church at Colossae, and remember, these, these are circular letters, so it's going to find its way to Ephesus eventually, and Paul's letter to the Ephesians is going to find its way to Colossae. So he says here in verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Okay, Notice in the Ephesians says, that, you know speaking to one another. So here, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So this is the same terminology in terms of, of, uh, of the singing life of the church. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts uh, to God. So we even see the, the motif of thankfulness is is part of this as well. So there's definitely a parallel that's going on here. But what I want you to to note here is to kind of keep your thumb or finger there, whatever you have to do, and go over to to, uh, verse 28. And and I think we have a slide where we're going to put these two verses up side by side, I hope. And uh, you can look at that. But in verse 28 of chapter 1, Paul is talking about his ministry. And he says, We proclaim him, that is Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. 128, right? That's the, that's the theme verse of our, of our youth ministry, right? 128, Colossians 128. And what I want you to see here is that, that Paul summarizes his ministry of church planting and, and, and church development under, under the terminology of admonishing and teaching with all wisdom you see it in verse 28 of of uh, chapter 1 then what i want you to see is when you when you move over to chapter 3 and verse 16 where now paul's talking about how the congregation is to be interacting with one another he says there let the word of christ richly dwell within you and then notice it he says with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another so the same terminology paul says what characterizes my ministry it's simply this i teach i admonish with all wisdom paul says you and you know you believers you 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 um, christians there in the church in colossae you are to be singing to one another and by by the by, by your singing you're to be teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom So it's a parallel. It's a parallel going on here. And Paul says back in chapter 1, verse 29, that he says, For this purpose, that is that he might present every man complete in Christ, I also labor uh, agonizing according to the power that works mightily within me. Paul says, I lay it on the line. I lay it on the line for the purpose of developing maturity in the people of God, and I do it through teaching and admonishing in all wisdom. He says to you and I that we carry his work on. So here we are. We're, we're, you know, we're 20 centuries removed, 21 centuries removed from the work of the Apostle Paul in one sense. But in, in another sense, we are in perfect continuity moving along with him in the same basic roles and activities. And that is, is that we are laboring with each other that we might be presented as mature in Christ as we sing. We're teaching each other. We're admonishing each other with all wisdom. And how do we do it? What's the content of our singing? What's the lyrical content? Right? What's well, Psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs? You see it? So that's why singing is so important. So important. I think we can we can rightly say this, okay? I'm gonna make a really bold statement here. In fact, it's bold in my notes. We can rightly say. That singing is a part of disciple making. Singing is a part of disciple making. When you come here and sing to me, I sit in the front, so you're all singing to me, okay? And as I sing to you, and those around me can hear me, okay? And uh, it's just because I'm loud, not because I'm good. As we sing to each other, we are engaged in disciple-making. You are discipling me, and I am discipling you, and and you are discipling each other. You see that? That's what makes this so important. But it doesn't stop there. That's the horizontal aspect. Um, There's also a a vertical aspect. So I'm back now in Ephesians chapter 5, so turn back there. That's the the horizontal uh, aspect of it here in the first part of verse 19. But there's a vertical aspect as well. And Paul lays that out using two more participles where he talks about singing and making melody. That's the vertical aspect of all of this. So singing, uh, it it just comes from a verb that means to sing. Okay, Real simple. And, And making melody comes from a a, a verb, um, uh, solo, uh, which means to, to sing music or to play a, a stringed instrument. And, of course, it's, it's, um, it's related uh, to the word psalms itself. So, so there's this vertical aspect of singing to God. And, and, and I think the key point here is, is that we do it with your heart to the Lord. You see that at the end of verse 19? You do it with your heart to the Lord. Who's the Lord? Christ. So we're singing to Christ when we gather here on Sunday morning. We're singing to each other, and we're singing to Christ. We're singing to Christ. And we're, and we're to do this, it's to originate where, verse 19? From the heart. From the heart. And, and, and in Ephesians, the, the heart is referred to several times. It, it's, that, it's that inner it's the, it's the inner human. It's, it's the place where Christ dwells, chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says in there, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's, it's the aspect of our existence there in, in chapter 3, verses 16 to 19, that, that Paul prays might be strengthened. Right, that the Spirit might strengthen us in, the, in, this, in our hearts, within the, the inner, real you and me. Over in chapter 1, verses 17 and following, it's the, the heart is the, is the, is the place there that, that Paul prays might be enlightened, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. In other words, it is that you and I might come to understand the vastness of the grace of God in Christ for You and I. Paul wants us in the inner person, in that inner man, to to come to to this place where we really begin to understand who Jesus is and what he has done. And when we do that, back to chapter 5, when we do that, we will begin to sing and, and make melody from that overflow of our understanding of Christ back to Christ. We will begin to reflect back to Christ. The, the praise and glory that he deserves. We could, we could kind of boil this down and, and just say from the vertical aspect, it's, it's singing with our whole being to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you and I gather to sing, we're singing to each other, and we're singing with the totality of, of, of who we are as, as children of God, joint heirs with Christ with a a growing understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, and it just empowers and moves us in in vertical praise for Christ. Beloved, when you put all that together, when you put all that reality together, we can say the following. We can say that spirit-filled Christians... Sing words of praise to Christ and instruction to each other in a heartfelt manner as a result of the Holy Spirit's work through the Scriptures. Let me repeat it for you. Spirit-filled Christians, right? Can, is, it, is it visible? Yes. Spirit-filled Christians sing words of praise to Christ and instruction to one another in a heartfelt manner as a result of the Holy Spirit's work through the Scriptures. Our singing needs to be a thrilling time. I mean, it's it's not a half-hearted, you know, ho-hum, let's get through it, first part, a walk-off mat. As, you, as you, you sort of think about this and, and let these truths settle in, and all we have been talking about the, of a spirit filled life, you, you begin to think about the application of that and the, and the implication of that for our congregation, beloved, is huge. It's really, really important. I'm grateful for our, all of the volunteers uh, that, that come out here on Sunday morning and, and make up the, you know, the worship teams that, that help lead us. I appreciate their time. I appreciate their efforts. Uh, they're diligent, and they're all volunteers, and they, and they do a good job. They do a good job for us, and, w- and we do, and we need to continue to, to strive to, to sing songs that are rich in biblical theology. If we're singing to one another for instructive purposes, that we, might, that we might admonish one another, that we might teach one another in all wisdom, that we might grow in maturity to Christ, and we need to sing good stuff. We need to sing really good stuff. And they, and they need to, these, these songs need to turn our focus vertically to Christ. They need to lift up our eyes to Jesus. We need to see him. We need to be reminded of who he is and what he has done. I think the, the variety of terminology that's used here leads to, to uh, ap- applicationally that, that a variety in music in terms of tempo and rhythm and, and melody and instrumentation and, and all of that is, is the church is really free in these things. There's no one prescribed way. No one prescribed way. But but it's the but it's the music's role to carry the lyrics. That is important. Okay? The the the, the instrumentation is not to not to overwhelm the lyrics, it's to carry the lyrics, it's to support the lyrics. The lyrics are everything. They're everything. I think applicationally we can say this. You and I we need to get out of outside ourselves when it comes to singing. We are we are too restrained. As a congregation we are too restrained we are too self-aware in an unhelpful way of what we might sound like or what someone might think perhaps about our singing see we need to get our eyes off of ourselves and we need to put them on each other in a, in a helpful way and, and upwards to Christ who is, in a sense, the ultimate audience of all of this. Look again at verse 19. These are, this is one of the one anothers of the New Testament, right? This is one of the significant one anothers of the New Testament, but I but I think it's one that's often overlooked. It's often overlooked. Singing congregationally is one of God's mandated means to fulfill the one another's and to to make disciples of Jesus Christ. How long will we have to sing to one another? Well, if you let your eyes roll back to chapter 4 and verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, how long must we sing to one another? The answer is until Christ comes and takes us home. Until he comes and takes us home. All right, bottom line. All right, bottom line. You, You out there who love bottom lines, here it is. Bottom line. You and I, you and I, cannot... Obey Paul's command, remember verse 18, is a command. You and I cannot obey Paul's command to be filled by the Spirit while at the same time refusing to participate in congregational singing. Do you understand that? Let me, let me say it again so there's no misunderstandings here. You and I cannot Obey Paul's command to be filled by the Spirit while at the same time refusing to participate in congregational singing. You can't. You can't. And if you are being filled by the Spirit, you will sing. It will just come out. It will come out. By the way, on the topic of discipleship, one way to disciple your children is to teach them the songs of the faith. Teach them the powerful, deep, long-standing hymns of the Christian faith that are loaded with theology, you know, poured into their little hearts and minds. It's, It's amazing children's ability to read things that they learn through song. In fact, it's, it's amazing the human ability to retain things, right? Most of you, I'm sure, can remember advertising jingles from decades ago. You may not remember the product, but you remember the jingle. It's a powerful way to convey truth or ideas. And so, you know, why do we have our children? Maybe we should ask and answer that question. Why do we keep the children in here during the singing on Sunday mornings and then dismiss them later? Why don't, we, why don't they just go to their children's uh, church program right at the beginning? Why do we keep them here? We keep them here for a very strategic reason. We keep them here so that we can disciple them in congregational singing. So they can learn these songs, and they can see people singing, and they can begin to sing themselves. And so from the time they're little all the way up, we're, we're training them this very important truth. Very important truth. God's people are a singing people. They are a singing people. They are not silent. They are singing. So, the first result of being filled by the Spirit is worship. Second, the second result of being filled by the Spirit is gratitude. It is gratitude. And you see that here in verse 20, where Paul says, always giving thanks. Giving thanks. Eucharistuntes is, is the Greek word. It's the Greek participle, and, and, it, and it addresses the, 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 the outworking of spirit filling in terms of the practice of public prayer. The practice of public prayer. Prayers of thanksgiving. One commentator, and I, I think he's right, he, he identifies this idea of public prayers of thanksgiving with the notion of praise. So we can, we can say praise and thanksgiving. We can kind of pull it together. That this is a manifestation of a life that is, that is spirit-filled. It is a, it's a life that overflows publicly with gratitude and praise. This is Normal. This is, this is a normal biblical response to God for who he is and what he has done. You read the Psalms, and there are just all over the place, right? There are Psalms of thanksgiving and praise. This is what the people of God do. They vocalize it. It's a, it's a heart that overflows. A heart that overflows with the experience of the grace of God. The grace of God, which the word grace is, is charis, and it's the, it's the root of the verb eucharisteo, from which we get this partable, participle, right, here of giving thanks. So, so it's all tied together. We give thanks because of the charis, the grace of God in our lives. And what is the greatest display of the grace of God in my life and yours? It is the redemption that God has purchased and assured us in Jesus Christ, his son. This is what motivates us. So as we are singing to each other about Christ and to Christ in praise of him, we also vocalize our thanksgiving for who he is and what he has done. I want you to notice here in verse 20 how Paul, he just quickly kind of outlines this concept of of, um, prayers of thanksgiving, but how comprehensive he is in, in doing it. Here in verse 20, and, and I want you to see as well that, that he, he brings out the triunity of God. It's all packed into this one, this one verse. Right, We're always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So it is the outworking of being filled by the Spirit. It, these, these prayers are offered in the name of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are addressed to God the Father. So you see the triunity of the Godhead. That, that is, that is the, at the root of our prayers of thanksgiving and praise. How often? How often should prayers of praise and thanksgiving be part of the public gathering of the people of God? Well, what does Paul say here, verse 20? Always, right? The idea is, is constantly or Regularly. The people of God gather publicly to, to, to encourage and to exhort and to admonish and to teach one another and to vocalize to God regularly our prayer of gratitude, right? So our prayers of gratitude. And, and, and what is to occupy, right? What is the, what is the fullness of our prayers? It's, it, Paul says here, it's for all things. It's for all things, I can't help but be reminded of Paul's statement you know, over in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, right? God is causing all things to work together for good, right? to those who are, uh, call, To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So for what should we publicly vocalize our prayer and praise to God? It's got to be for all things. But all things aren't really necessarily all that pleasant, right? So how do we offer thanksgiving to God in the midst of very, very difficult circumstances? It requires an understanding of, of the mind of God revealed to us through, this, through the Scriptures by the Spirit and to see that He's working even in these things. And so we can praise Him that He is working. Listen, if you're in a hard place this morning, maybe, maybe there's a health issue that you've got that's of very serious nature, or maybe there's a relational difficulty or, or something at work or 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 even within your home that's going on and it's really, really bad. You can still praise God and you should praise God in it because God is at work. God is at work in you and and he is conforming you to the image of Christ in the midst of it. And, and, And God has chosen you for this suffering. He has chosen you to suffer in this way for his glory and your good. And you can only begin to wrap your mind around that and, and, and steady your heart in that when you understand the love of God for you in Jesus Christ, his Son. Which is exactly what Paul lays out for us, right? Beginning in chapter 1 and verse 4 and following, right? Just as he chose us in him, that is Christ, before the foundation of the world. In love he predestined us, he says. Okay. We do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, based on the accomplished work of, of Christ, our union with him that allows us to call out Abba, Father. We share the closeness of Christ to the Father. We, we, we have been brought into that fellowship. And it is to God the Father, the ultimate source of all goodness. He is the ultimate source of all goodness and grace. Why did God create you? Why did God create you? Because from all eternity, he has been passionately, deeply in love, the Father for the Son, and the Son for the Father and the Spirit. And they have been fellowship one with another. And it's a nature of love to be outgoing and to be giving. And so this glorious, gracious, love-filled, triune God said, I want to share this. And He created you and me. And He drew us to Him in our fallenness, and He's recreating Christ in us. The Jesus' great prayer in John 17, right? That that we may be one with the Father, as Christ Himself is one with the Father. That that we might share that. What's Jesus doing in your life, even in the midst of your pain? He is drawing you into the passionate love affair he has, father with son, spirit, one with another. That motivates our gratitude. That motivates our gratitude. Third, and finally, the result of a spirit-filled life, the result of being filled by the spirit is that we are being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In other words, that that our response to God-ordained authority structures reveals the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. The essence of sin is rebellion. It is a a self-aggrandizement. It's a I will be like God the essence of being created in the image of Christ is a heart of humble submission. Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. Paul uses a verb, hupotasso, here. And it, and it means simply this. It's a, it's a, It's a a word brought together. The preposition "hupo" means under. The verb "tasso" it means to arrange or line up. And so, so what what does it mean to be subject to? It means simply this: to, to line up underneath, to line up, to order, to arrange oneself underneath God's ordained authority structures. That's what it means. And the only way to do it is the Spirit's filling work in us. He changes us. He changes us. It's a result of his filling. But notice the the motivation of it here. It's the result. but But the motivation is the fear of Christ. The fear of Christ. This is what motivates us. It's the fear of Christ. In other words, our, our awe or our reverence for the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the one who is coming to judge the living and the dead. It's the fear of the Lord. A very prominent theme in the Old Testament, to be sure. Right? It's, it's the appropriate response to the mighty acts of God. It's the death. It's it's a demonstration of our own, of our personal piety, of our, of our willingness to, to obey the law of God. It's repeatedly spoken of in the Old Testament as the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. So is the Spirit, is, is it working you and you're being filled by the Spirit, right? You're being conformed. We talked about that, the, the being, being filled by the Spirit is being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, you're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. It shows up in your response to biblical authority. It's the Spirit's work in us. He, he enables us. To fear Christ and to humble our hearts. And there's a transition here. As I said earlier. Verse 21 transitions from the the public gathering to the home. And we should expect that. We should expect to be able to, to see, and we should expect the Apostle Paul to address the the what does it look like to be filled by the Spirit? publicly and privately. And that's what he does. That's what he does. Now, beloved, I've got a lot of things. You probably wouldn't believe this, but I've got a lot of things I want to say to you about the interplay between loving biblical authority and God-honoring submission. A lot that I want to say. And it will occupy some number of weeks after I get back from a short vacation here. But I will say this, okay? So I just want to make an overarching statement before we walk away from this text this morning. I want to give you something to think about. I want to give you something to think about. The church at Ephesus, as was common in the New Testament was a house church arrangement. In other words, they didn't gather together in, in, in large public buildings like this. That, that really didn't come until, until the 3rd century with Constantine and so forth, 4th century. I mean, the, the church was, was persecuted. It was, you know, it was a, a lot of slaves in the church and so forth. So, so the church met typically in homes. They met in homes. And so what would happen is, is this letter would come from the Apostle Paul to the, to the church that was meeting there in Ephesus in one or more homes. And it would be read publicly to the people. Everybody doesn't have a copy of it on their lap, right? You just think about, you think for a moment about the, the, the riches of what you have. You've got the entire word of God. Right there. Right there. These people would gather. They'd get off work at the end of a, you know, a long, hard day, and they would gather. And, and news would spread in the community that they had received a letter from Paul. You better believe they were there to hear it. And so they would gather there in that home, and, and and they would hear that the elders would be would would read the letter and whether read the letter whether they would read it in turn you know each one take a part or i don't who knows but they would hear it read and as they heard this letter read they would get to what you and i know as chapter 5 and and they would begin to hear paul talk about you know the command to be filled by the spirit and then what they would hear is each one of them in turn would hear him address them in their circumstance husbands, wives, fathers, children, slaves, masters. Each one of them sitting there and hearing. The Word of God for the first time in this letter. And as they responded in faith to to Paul's command here to to be filled by the Spirit, what would happen is there would be a transformation of their homes. And, and there in the, in the home, either, either in, if, if it was multiple homes or, or whether it was the church gathered in a private home, but, but in either way what would happen is, is there, would, there would begin to be this, this incredible uh, uh, hothouse of, of disciple-making and evangelistic activity. They'd invite their friends to come and they would observe. See, and see, beloved, when you, when you combine Paul's command here to, to be filled, continually filled by the Spirit which, which manifests itself out in your marriage and in your parenting and in your, your relationships within the home and so forth, and, and, and you practice the other commands for hospitality, you see, when these two commands are, are brought to bear and brought side by side, that all of a sudden people begin to see the spirit-filled life with their own eyes. With their own eyes. See, we can fake it. It's only an hour and a half. It not take you long to learn the, you know, the, the right lingo. Mouth a few words to the song. You can fake it. You can get through. And people Do when you people when you let someone in your home when you invite them into your home strangers right that's what the word hospitality means love of strangers you invite them into your home and they begin to observe how husband and wife how you interact with each other and they begin to see dad how you how you handle your children and they begin to see you know in the context of a of a of a slave household so they see how you how you manage the hired help while well, they're not hired but You know what I'm saying? And they see how you interact there within your home. What kind of a a master are you? And when they see the spirits work in you, that you are different. And that difference can only be accounted for supernaturally. You have the most powerful evangelistic tool at your fingertips. Most powerful tool. Paul says in First Timothy three two, Titus one eight, that one of the mandatory requirements for an elder is they must be hospitable. It's not an option. An elder who is not hospitable is not qualified to be an elder. How do you know whether the elders are being filled by the Spirit? How do you know? I'll tell you how you know. You're in their homes. You watch how he loves his wife as Christ loves the church. You watch how his wife submits and respects to his biblical leadership you see how he he shepherds the heart of his children in such a way that 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 he doesn't provoke them he's gentle and patient and and instructs them in the truth you see how he handles others that are that are under his oversight and authority and you go yeah that's a guy, that's a guy who's, who has grown in maturity, who, who the work of Christ is evident in his life and he, and, and he is walking by the Spirit. He is, he is working at fulfilling this command in 518 and you know what? That's the kind of guy I want Keeping keep and watch over my soul. Has nothing to do with what kind of successful businessman he is, how smart he is. How well educated, how erudite, how wealthy. All the things that, that society uses to establish its leadership, right? Just the opposite. Don't be a leader among the people of God. You can't be a leader among the people of God if you, if you are not actively pursuing Paul's command to be continually filled by the Spirit. See, beloved, this stuff all ties together. It all ties together. Well, how do we apply all this this morning? Here's how we're going to apply it. You ready? Here it is. I'm going to immediately provide opportunity for every single one of us to apply the truth here, right, in a a visible, expressive way. So I'm going to pray here in a moment the worship team is going to start coming up right now. Because every single one of us sitting here right now this morning together have opportunity to demonstrate that we have listened with ears of faith. Cuz we're going to have a chance to sing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you that he is active passionate, jealous for your glory and for us to to share in that inter-Trinitarian relationship and love. Our Father, may you help us to apply the truth we've heard this morning even now as we sing and, and help us to sing loud to sing with a heart that has been transformed by the grace of God in Christ to one another and to Christ himself, in whose name we pray, amen.